Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. Let me jump in by saying this tonight. Throughout the Bible, throughout the whole Word of God, we see God's love, we see His mercy freely available to all who will accept it. It is His grace. The entire Bible is a record of the extremes that He has gone to in order to allow us to avoid the destiny of our fallen state. And the destiny of that fallen state will be on full display tonight, church. Tonight's uh, study topic title, sermon title, if you will, is this, The Wrath of God. As I shared on the uh, Facebook page earlier tonight, I, I wrote, The Wrath of God, dot, 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 and you, question mark. I say that because there's a lot of people that when they think of the wrath of God, uh, there's a part of them that is afraid that that's for them, that they may suffer the wrath of God, that they may suffer judgment from God uh, in, in days to come, perhaps. Some people even struggle with the idea that they're being punished by God right now. Well, we're going to take on some of that, not all of that. We're going to take on some of that tonight, though, as we study through Revelation chapter 15 and 16. So before we go any further, let's just pray to start tonight, shall we? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you love us. And we thank you for the extremes that you have gone to to show us, Lord. Show us the way the way to avoid the destiny that the fallen state of this world has before it, Lord. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love and your mercy, Lord Jesus. So be with us tonight. Uh, plant a seed in our hearts tonight that will reap an eternal reward, Lord. Give us insight into your scripture tonight, into your word, and give us encouragement for knowing it better. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. All right. Without any further ado, let's begin tonight. Revelation chapter 15. Let's read verse 1, <clears throat> 1 through 4. Then I saw, then I saw another sign in heaven. Great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven uh, last plagues. For in them, the wrath of God is complete. Now, we've been on this journey for a long time here, haven't we? We've been studying through Revelation uh, for a while now, all, from 1 all the way through 15. Over the last several months, we've been studying this on Wednesday nights. Well, here it is. We finally arrived, and here, here it is. Uh, John the Revelator saying, and I saw another sign, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. Chapter 15, as we read through chapter 15, I, it's important for you guys to remember that chapter 15 is really a symbolic prelude to the bowls of judgments. And I'll explain that a little bit more in detail uh, here in a minute as we read on a little bit further, okay? So we've studied through seven seals being uh, opened. We've studied through uh, what they meant uh, symbolically and literally. We've studied through the seven trumpets, and now we're getting into the seven bowls of judgment and or wrath, okay? So this whole 
chapter 15 is really a prelude to what we're going to get into in 16 tonight, okay? Verse 2, let's read. And I saw something like a sea of glass. We remember that sea of glass from previous in the uh, earlier on in the uh, uh, book of Revelation, don't we? I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. So those who have victory over that uh, tribulation time, Antichrist trinity, uh, the false prophet, the uh, Antichrist, the beast system of that time, there's the saints that have victory over that, standing on this sea of glass, having harps of God. And verse 3 reads, they sing a they sing the song of Moses the servant of God the song of lamb uh, of the lamb so the song of Moses uh real quick insight here what is the song of Moses the song of Moses was sung in other places in the old testament but specifically in Exodus chapter 19 it was sung before the giving of the law okay uh, and then the servant of uh The song of Moses was sung, but then the song of the Lamb was sung as well. What is the song of the Lamb? Well, the song of the Lamb, if we remember from Revelation chapter 5, all of the redeemed singing, right? Holy, holy, holy. We remember that. Well, is the Lord God Almighty who who was, who is, and is to come, right? Well, the is to come part. Uh in this context, not so important because he is come here and is coming. So uh, all the redeemed are singing here, all right? The song of Moses and those that are singing the song of the Lamb. And what are they saying? They're saying, great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Great and marvelous are your works. Just and true are your ways. King, O King of the saints, other translations will say King of the ages there. Okay, it's important for us to remember, church, it's important for us to remember who is being revealed in this letter. This is the unveiling, right? This is the unveiling is what revelation means. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, okay? So this is, as we study everything throughout the book of Revelation, chapter by chapter, line by line, what is the point and goal of this revealing? It's revealing Jesus Christ, okay? So it's important for us to remember that. Verse 4, who shall not fear you? Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? This is a good question, isn't it? This is a good question for us to consider specifically in our time, if you ask me. The fear of God is in a state of free fall in the world today, church, is it not? It's in a state of free fall in this nation specifically. More and more people have no fear of God. And we say fear, well, are you supposed to be afraid of God? No, we've no. If you're if you're reading the text and you're reading be afraid of God, it, it's it's more of a sense of reverence, okay? When you look at the translations, both Old and New Testaments, of fear of God is a great reference, uh, a reverence, reverence to the point of fear, really, though. I mean, for, think about it for a second. One day, the sky will split, right? And Jesus, with his hosts uh, of armies, will come 
uh, conquering, right? So he will come and put an end to uh, all of the wickedness and hurt and, and de- deceptiveness that is on the face of the earth, all of the, the uh, violence and everything else. In that moment, <laughs> when the sky splits, will you not have a sense of how small you are if you were here for it, right? Would you not, just imagine for a second you were here, would it not be just shocking and fearful to a degree? I'll tell you, uh, some years ago, we were in Florida. Uh, Most of you guys watching this know that we're in Nashville, Tennessee. Well, in Nashville, Tennessee, there's trees everywhere. I remember when uh, my sister-in-law first moved down here, my brother lives here as well. When my sister-in-law first moved here, we grew up in South Dakota. She couldn't believe how many trees were everywhere. Well, there's trees everywhere here in Tennessee. So when the thunder thunders, a lot of that, a lot of those acoustics are absorbed by the trees, the foliage and everything else, right? Well, we were in Florida and a tropical depression was moving in, and we were in South Florida. I mean, there's there's some palm trees, right? But when that thunder would strike out over the ocean, it was so loud. It was so ominous. It was like, whoa. I mean, it was in the middle of the night, too. It was, to be honest with you, it was a little scary, right? Well, just in the sense of that's how we revere God. He's so much bigger than us. He's so powerful, right? God is love, but he is also powerful, and he is also mighty. Amen? So here in verse 4, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? Again, relevant for this time because that reverence for God in our culture is in a state of freefall. It is honestly uh, under attack, deliberate attack by the enemies of our culture, by the enemies of freedom, by the enemies of our way of life in this country, as a matter of fact. So, I mean, I think about when I was uh, uh, a youth, you know, and uh, I'm 42 now, so you can date me. Uh, about the time I was in my uh, youth camps and whatnot in my teen years, I remember people would always talk about, there was that movement, I don't know if it was a book or what, but youth pastors would say like things like, Jesus is my homeboy and stuff like that, right? Or my Jesus wears blue jeans and stuff like that. And that always just rubbed me wrong because Jesus loves us and Jesus is personal and Jesus is with us and Jesus is intimate with us. But he's not your homeboy, right? He is the Lord of all creation. He is the voice in the burning bush. He is the one who hovered above the waters at a creation, okay? He is the author of life, okay? And so he's not your homeboy, right? I mean, we, I, we, I think that uh, a lot of these things may have come from a good place in Christian, Christendom initially, but anything that dulls down the, the, the power and might of God is not a good thing in my opinion. But in any case, uh, <laughs> whether it's in the Christian communities or uh, obviously in the secular world and secular communities, reverence for God is in free fall and, un- and in a state of attack right now. So who shall, f- who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. Now this is... This gets even more real here, because consider who is on the earth at this time. Now, we've already been through this, through Revelations chapter 1 through 3, with the seven churches of Revelation, through chapter 4, which I believe is a rapture event, 
of the bride of Christ to the people on the earth at this time throughout the last several chapters that we've been reading being quote-unquote earth dwellers as they're now referred to so often. The 144,000, right, uh, they're now uh, being protected at this point in Revelation, being protected uh, from the wrath of God by God himself, being kept, uh, being kept safe from harm by them and not one will be lost, right? So, but those who are on the earth at this time, who are these that even after all that has happened, remember, we've read through the seals being opened already, the trumpets being sounded, we're coming into the bowls of wrath now about to be poured out. So up until this point, a lot of horrible stuff has already happened on the earth. Chaos is breaking out on the face of the earth at this time, yet after everything that has happened, after everything that has been made manifest to them already, they still do not cry out to God. He says, who, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? Well, who are these people? I'll tell you who these people are. And I'm going to uh, take a, uh, an off-ramp into Romans chapter 1 briefly. So join me at Romans chapter 1. We're going to read verse 18 through 25. Okay, Romans 18... Uh, Chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. Let's read. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in righteousness. Is there a lot of suppressing of the truth going on in the world today, church? Do you feel like there might be? Verse 19. Because what may be known of God is manifest in who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Or excuse me, the, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. I read the wrong line. For God has shown it to them. So they know the truth. They've been shown the truth. It's been shown to them. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. They're without excuse. It's been made manifest, right? Because verse 21, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22, professing to be wise... They became fools and changed the glory of God, changed the glory of of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So they're taking the image of God and they're creating it into these false pagan uh, idols, right? We see that. Verse 24, therefore, therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Who, and this is it, this is the crux right here. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. These, these are those who will dwell upon the earth 
during this time. These are the people. Are they here now? Yeah, I believe that. I believe Jesus is coming back soon, guys. I do. You know that if you've followed us very long. I believe that there's a rapture event right around the corner. And we as Christians need to be living our lives with a sense of urgency to share the love and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ because he's coming soon for his bride. I believe that. He's coming for us soon. So if that's true, if that's the case, then people who are living on the earth right now are these who will be on the earth during this period of revelation. If you imagine this, think about it. It's hard to, to look at our world and think, oh, these, there are people in the world that I encounter on a daily basis, maybe even at the grocery store, who will be alive and living through this seven-year tribulation period. That's frightening to realize. I think we, uh, most of us live our lives in a sense, a, a, a state of cognitive dissonance in a way. It doesn't seem real. Like to imagine, wow, if we really were raptured tomorrow, these people would be, li- and they don't have a saving faith, they would be living through the seven-year tribulation, suffering the wrath of God. Do we really live our life as uh, ambassadors for Christ with that kind of urgency to share the truth of the gospel? We should. We should. Um, But these are those who will dwell on the earth at the time, who still, in spite, in spite of everything that they have seen up until this point. So imagine this. There will be a rapture event, okay, that doesn't turn them around, all right? There's a rapture event. They come up with an excuse for it. They explain it away. All right. Then what happens? Seven seals opened up. Then what? Seven trumpets sounded. Then what? Here we are at the wrath of God is still with everything that has been made manifest to them. Even at the time of Paul, Paul was saying the creation itself is evidence and is made uh, manifest to them, but they deny it, right? They're creation deniers. It's an important part to understand of, of their thinking of their theology, their creation deniers from the beginning anyway. They worship the creation, right? They worship Mother Earth They don't, rather than the creator uh, himself. They carve statues of animals and whatnot and worship the animal. They worship the earth. They don't worship the God who created them. And they have, in spite of everything that they have seen, in spite of everything that has been made manifest to them, they still trade the truth for a lie. Hmm. Let's keep reading verse five. Verse five, after these things, I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Now the temple, uh, the temple, this is a, he's talking about the temple that is in heaven. In the seven year tribulation, there will be an earthly temple. But as we've studied before, especially early on, I believe back in chapter five, we talked about the throne room of God and the temples, and there being, there's a temple in heaven, there's an Ark of the Covenant in heaven. The temple on the earth and the Ark of the Covenant on earth was only a, a, uh, a mirror, okay? Like a, a, a mirror of what is in heaven. So there's a temple in heaven. There has been and there will be again a temple on earth in Jerusalem. But behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven, important to notice the difference, in heaven was opened. So 15 different times in Revelation, the temple is mentioned. But this is, I find it interesting. Never, never before Revelation chapter 4 is the temple mentioned. Why do I think that's relevant? Uh, well, as long as the church is on earth, the Holy Spirit is indwelling. The Holy Spirit is within us. So, but once the church is raptured, you know, the temple's relevance is in view again here. Uh, uh, 
in regards to the people that are on the earth here, especially the Jewish people. So after, after chapter 4, we see the temple again, mentioned 15, uh, 15 times throughout uh, Revelation, but and the replica temple here. Let's keep reading, though. Verse 6. And out of the temple, which was, remember, in heaven, came the seven angels having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen and having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. This is interesting here because, you know, no one. Keep in mind, we're in the throne room of God. We're there, right? We who have had victory over, over the enemy, we're there. The angels in heaven are there. Yet God deals with sin alone, on his own. The horror of sin that separates God from man. God, even here, deals with it on his own. It makes me think of when uh, God made covenant with Abraham. What did he do? He put Abraham to sleep and he made the covenant himself. He made Abraham's uh, part of the bargain uh, in that ceremony as well. Just like grace. He does it for us. Faith plus nothing equals salvation. So uh, the covenant with Abraham type and shadow for the covenant that he has with us. And then we see that same type and shadow even right here. No one was able to enter the temple. God deals with the horror of sin on his own. And we see seven, again, bulls. We saw seven trumpets, seven seals. And then the number seven equals completion uh, in God's heavenly language, right? So complete. God now will deal with the kingdom of, of the beast here in Revelation chapter 16. So let's read verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice. I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of wrath of God onto the earth. So here it comes. Here it comes. Can I see that this next graphic real quick? I want to show you guys something. Just to remind you what we've talked about briefly. We had the seven, uh, seven sealed scroll. Okay. We studied uh, all the way through the sixth seal. Between uh, the sixth and the seventh seal, there was, uh, there was a, a break. Okay. There was a, a, a break right there. Uh, chapter seven, where we learned about the 144,000, right? Then we get into the trumpets that cover are covered through chapters 10 and 11. Again, we see the, the same, um, literary style repeating itself. So there's before, after the sixth trumpet, there's a break, which that break is covered through chapters 10 and 14. And then, uh, the seventh trumpet sounds, and then with chapter 15, we're into the bowls of the wrath. So we've already been through the woman Israel. We've already talked about the two beasts, one from the earth, one from the sea, the false prophet, the antichrist, the first fruits or the fruits of the 144,000 in chapter 14, which we studied last time. And now here we are into the bowls of wrath, which will be covered uh, in through chapter 15 and 16. And we'll be uh, getting into a little Armageddon uh, discussion here as well. 
Uh, let me give you a close-up on that seven bulls of wrath if you're truly studying and following along. Uh, take a screenshot of this or a photo with your camera so you can come back to it. As we cover each bull of wrath, what are we going to see happen? Sores on a man with the mark, sea of blood, every all died. Rivers and waters become blood. Sun scorches with fire as the fourth bull. The darkness on the beast's kingdom. Remember, we're God is now dealing not with you. He's dealing with the Antichrist beast system that is on the, on the earth. He's dealing with those who, even though God has been made manifest to them, they still trade the truth for a lie. Uh, the Euphrates and the kings dried up, the kings of the east, so on and so forth. Before the seventh bowl, uh, which uh, touches the air. So let's keep reading with that. Verse 2, verse 2. So the first went, angel, went and poured out his bowl upon the earth and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. A sore. So is this some kind of viral warfare? I don't know. Is this, does he have a sore because when he took the mark, it pierced the skin? I don't know. Is this have something to do with uh, any... Uh, ma the manner in which the mark is taken and given, I don't know, but it's, it's associated, the sore comes on those with the mark. Does it, is it correlating with the mark? I don't know, but it is a sore. So is it potentially uh, virulent? Uh, in any case, it's idiomatic of an inward problem that's now being manifest on the outside of the flesh, isn't it? Okay, let's keep reading. Verse three, then the second the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man. And every living creature in the sea died. Wow. That's a lot. I mean, it's hard for us to imagine. We see these uh, pictures come up in the news headlines every once in a while. If you're on uh, websites that follow uh, headlines or perhaps relevant prophetically, you see fish die here and there, uh, birds fall out of the air, and it's always shocking to see, right? So, or if there's an oil spill, remember the Exxon Valdez oil spill or others that were more recent, to see all of that dead wildlife and all those dead fish wash up on the shores and whatnot, it's, it's sad, isn't it? And it's sickening to see. Well, here we see... My goodness, the earth, or the sea, became blood. Now, is this literal blood? Is this, li I can tell, well, I can tell you what, if all of those animals died, that is a lot of blood, obviously. But, you know, you compare it to uh, what's known as a red tide, right? We have been uh, in South Florida at uh, different times in the past few years when there is what's known as a red tide, when the tide, when the water becomes too oxygenated, uh, you know, there's an excessive growth of microorganisms and, and all sea life in that area, in that region, dies. So is this, speaking of something like that, are we looking at a red tide microorganism killing the wildlife, killing the fish? I don't know, but whatever it is, this is not a result of man's mistake, like an oil spill. This is not, uh, this is not even Satan here. We have to understand that this is wrath. This is the wrath of God upon the earth and those who dwell upon the earth at this time. Let's keep reading. Then the third angel, we're moving quick now. 
Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. They became blood. And I heard the angel of the water saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. The one who is, who was, and who is to be. The Greek translation here leaves out the and who is to be. It just says the existing one, the one who was, the holy one, is what the original Greek says there. There's really, there is really no point to say the one uh, who is to be, because he is and always will be. He's eternal, right? So uh, the original Greek text, this is who is to be, is in most of our translations now, but the Greek text just said the existing one, the one who was, the holy one, comma, the holy one. Just, you know... Put, just note, put a note there. Verse 6, let's keep going. For they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. Whew, wow. And I heard, I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Now, Note, the first three bulls, the first three bulls, men dwelling on the earth, okay? The last four, men linked with Babylon, okay? Make a side note of that if you're taking notes with us tonight. The first three bulls, men dwelling upon the earth, the earth dwellers, so to speak. The last four, men who will be linked with Babylon. Let's keep reading verse 8. Then the fourth, then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, Hmm, that's interesting. And power was given to him to scorch men with fire. Uh, talk about global warming, right? And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. Did they cry out to God for mercy and repent? No. They, they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. Wow. Now, is this a reference to a solar flare? I don't know. These things that we're reading, I think you will, are, we can't comprehend what it will truly be when it comes to pass. I think as we watch, I believe we'll, you know, we'll be watching from the mezzanine. We'll be watching from heaven uh, and we'll just be in awe. You know, but I don't believe that there's any coincidence that the sun is used to burn those who blaspheme God, church. Uh, sun worship. Sun worship was the earliest form of blasphemy. The earliest form of paganism originated from the plain of Shinar, modern-day Iraq. The plain of Shinar. Uh, Babylon was in modern-day Iraq. So, you know, the plain of Shinar is what it was called back then. And all er, the earliest forms of paganism all or originated from there. And sun worship was the earliest form of blasphemy. Let's read uh, Genesis chapter 10, verse 8 through 10. Cush begot Nimrod. And this is relevant to this period of time that we're in, dealing with beast system, antichrist of the seven-year tribulation, Satan's big last hurrah, right? One world order, one world currency, one world uh, mark, right? 
Cush begotten Nimrod, he began to be a mighty one. And this is so interesting. He began to be a mighty one. And you can do a whole study on this when you get into Genesis chapter 6 and study of Nephilim and whatnot. Uh, many great scholars believe that this could be referencing he began to become a Nephilim. He began to become a giant. How, how about that, huh? A mighty one on the earth in any case. Verse 9, let's keep reading. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Who is this guy? Oh, he's a mighty hunter before the Lord. Take note of that. Before the Lord, okay? We're going to come back to that. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Babylon, Erech, Akkad, and Kalneh, and in the land of Shinar. I see this next graphic. It's important for us to understand who this guy is in the context of this end-time beast system. Nimrod, in Hebrew, means to rebel. And in the it's actually a future tense word, which means we will rebel. Now, this, the final global dictator will be an Assyrian. We know that from Micah chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, and Isaiah chapter 10, the final global dictator will be an Assyrian. Will he be a form of this Nimrod? Will he be Nimrod II? I don't know. But you know, I believe that Satan doesn't know what year, when exactly the rapture of the church is going to happen. So I believe he's, he's always got a antichrist type figure in his back pocket. Well, Nimrod was the first global dictator. He was the first antichrist figure. And then you move throughout history uh, to your Mussolini's and your uh, uh, Hitler's and your everybody else, right? Are they potentially antichrist figures? Well, they certainly had global dictatorship on their mind, right? Um, so in, in any case, though, this Nimrod, he was mighty before the Lord, the scripture says, a mighty one on the earth, and he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That's, that's the first one in verse uh, uh, 9, right? Uh, and then again, we see it uh, mentioned two different times. He is mentioned as being before the Lord. Right, later on in that same verse 9. Before the Lord, before the Lord. Well, what does that mean? Well, before the Lord should meet the, the true definition of that in uh, the Hebrew means that he goes before, gets ahead of the Lord. Gets ahead of the Lord. That, not just that he's just like bowing before the Lord, worshiping. No, he gets ahead of the Lord, puts himself ahead of the Lord. So before, if I can see that graphic one more time, should, me, should be in defense of the Lord. In other words, he put himself before the Lord. The son was first, first worshipped, guys, by Nimrod and all of his followers uh, on the plains of Shinar and Babel and was the site of the first temple to the son. Genesis chapter 11 verse 4 reads this. It reads, and they, and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for who? The Lord God Almighty. No, for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. This was a real place. 
This was a real place. As you can, the ruins of Babylon are in Iraq today. As a matter of fact, Saddam Hussein was in the process of restoring and rebuilding them before the per, uh, Persian Gulf War took him out, right? Desert uh, uh, Storm, I believe. Uh, can I see this next picture? This is uh, a painting of the Tower of Babel. The bottom left there, you can see Nimrod himself setting himself up as uh, King Semiramis, his, uh, his bride there with him, Tammuz, their child. Uh, they set, them, set themselves up to be uh, the god of the sun, to be worshipped as this, uh, the one who is the light bearer. Does that ring any bells, guys? So it was, where do we get our light? From the sun, the light bearer. So he sets himself up to be as a god, the first global dictator, or at least attempt at it, and they set forth an attempt to build uh, this tower to get to, to uh, in rebellion and defiance of the Lord God to put themselves higher than God is the attempt, right? And many people believe that uh, it could be, there could be some scientific elements involved. You know, over in Geneva, Switzerland, uh, on the ruins of the uh, temple to Apollo, they have the Large Hadron Collider. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to open dimensional gates right now. You, re you can read it on their website. They're trying to open dimensional gates and their study of dark matter and everything else. Were they doing something like this here back then? I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't rule it out. You know, the ancient societies were not so dumb as our modern day scientists would love to suggest that they are. They had, in many cases, they were more advanced than us. They might not have had iPhones, but uh, you can't rule it out, right? In any case, they certainly knew, uh, they knew how to tap into spiritual elements. So is this Tower of Babel something like that? Perhaps, I don't know, but... Uh, in this Babylon, Nimrod putting himself before God in defiance of God, building the tower to the heavens in defiance to God. This is where the Maseroth, the, the, the story of the Messiah that's written in the heavens was corrupted and turned into what we know now as the Zodiac, right? You go get your horoscope, right? Well, what sign were you born under? Yada, yada. Well, there's a Leo the lion. Well, that was once uh, uh, the lion of the tribe of Judah. You've got Virgo. Well, that was once the virgin. And what was she doing? Giving birth, right? Uh, so uh, you've got the Maseroth tells the story of the Messiah in the heavens. You know, the water bearer, the scales, the, uh, the story of grace is written in the heavens, but it's been lost. Why? Because it was corrupted, corrupted here in Babylon, and all, all paganism, all false world, every false world religion, major false re religion, was born here. Can I see this map? It was from here that everything traveled. Can we see this map? There's Babylon. From there, this false, uh, false god worship, uh, sun god worship, all of these other false gods that were there, uh, travel to Egypt, you've got Horus, you've got Ra, you've got all of these same false gods that were in Babylon. They just get new names in new cultures. So it was from here that they all traveled outward. All paganism is derived from this beginning. So this also <clears throat> accounts for the parallelism in the pagan myths in all parts of the world. You study paganism in all parts of the world, and they all share 
a parallelism, similar stories, don't they? Similar stories. Uh, I want to share a few historical references of Nimrod with you. We don't just get this guy in Scripture. Josephus talked about uh, Nimrod. Let's, let's read this together, this next graphic. Nimrod persuaded mankind not to ascribe their happiness to God, but to think that his own excellency was the source of it. Jeez, is that alive today or what? Now, we are responsible for our own happiness. You know what's going to make you happy? You, right? I mean, that's every self-help book out on the shelf today. And he soon changed things into tyranny. Boy, doesn't that sound familiar. Hey, you know what? Uh, we're going to take care of you. You know, mankind can take care of mankind. <laughs> but guess what? He soon changed things into a tyranny, thinking that there was no other way to wean men from the fear of God. What did we talk about earlier? What are we in a crisis of in this nation right now? Of who will not fear God? The fear of God is on a drastic decline. And what was Nimrod's goal to get? He did not fear God. He was in rebellion to God. So he wanted his people and all people of the earth to lose their fear of God. So thinking that there was no other way to wean men from the fear of God than by making them rely upon his own power. What does that sound like to anybody watching tonight? Well, it sounds like the state to me. It sounds like a state that wants universal income right? You know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's what, we're, that's, that's what we endeavor for in this country. Happiness is not guaranteed. I can't guarantee you your happiness. As a matter of fact, if I were to give you universal basic income and totally cut off your path to uh, be a self-starter, start your own business because everything's regulated so much, odds are is you're going to be unhappy. It's going to lead to more unhappiness if, if, uh, if, if I am taking care of you, right? Well, the state says, hey, I'm going to make you rely upon me. I'm going to make you reply, rely on my power rather than on God, rather than on yourself. <laughs> That's how they get you, right? First, first, uh, the spirit of the age wants you to stop relying on God and say, just count on yourself. Just take care of yourself, right? It's all me, 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 me. Then what's the next thing when that goes badly because we are, we are utterly dependent on God? So that fails. What's next? Now we need the state to come in and take care of us. And that's just part of the plan. So I find that incredibly interesting. There is nothing new under the sun. Uh, Jonathan of Targum said this, from the foundation of the world, from the foundation of the world, none was ever found like Nimrod, powerful in hunting and in, what else? Rebellion against the Lord. Mm. One more. Let's go to the next slide. The Jerusalem Targum, and these are ancient, uh, ancient writings of, of different uh, rabbis that are on record. He was powerful in hunting and in wickedness before the Lord, for he was a hunter of the sons of men. And he said to them, depart from the judgment of the Lord and adhere to the judgment of Nimrod. <laughs> there is it said, as Nimrod is the strong one, not God, right? Nimrod is the strong one, strong in hunting and in wickedness before the Lord. And then the Chal the uh, paraphrase also reads, Cush 
begat Nimrod, who begat, began to prevail in wickedness, for he shed innocent blood and rebelled against Yehovah. Mm. And the shedding of innocent blood will not go unpunished. And that is, oh my, oh my word, church. And we see all of the innocent blood that are that is shed in this nation in the abortion clinics. Oh, we need to pray for our country. Now, this is all the ancient rabbinical understanding of who Nimrod was and what this global governance system looked like then. It's the same thing they were striving for then that the elite, dark, demonic powers of today are, are trying to establish today. And what stands in their way? The United States of America, who are found on the principles of liberty and freedom is the biggest obstacle to this kind of governance and, and uh, dictatorship globally. Nimrod was a bad guy. Nimrod was a bad guy. He was the first world dictator. Okay. Verse 9 says that they blasphemed. 16 verse 9 says that they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues and still they did not repent and give him glory. Well, they're bought into the system. They have trusted themselves rather than God. And in failing to deliver for themselves, now they are trusting in the state. They're trusting in the UN, they're trusting in the EU, they're trusting in the, the global governance. They're trusting in the nanny state to take care of them. And they prefer it rather than betting on God, rather than trusting in God. Albert Einstein, uh, you know that guy, right? He is pretty smart. He said this, he said this. It is easier to denature plutonium than to denature the evil spirit of man. And how sad is that? But how true is that? Even in the sight of God's glory being manifested to them, the nature of who he is as creator being manifested before them to the extent that they have no excuse, Paul said, remember. They're without excuse. Still, they did not repent and give him glory. Verse 10, let's keep reading. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. And remember what this is all about. Who's the wrath of God falling upon now? It's falling upon the throne of the beast, this global Nimrodic system. And his kingdom, it became full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. Oh. Church, we have no idea what's coming upon this earth. Spiritual darkness. Mm. Remember this. In a culture war, in a culture war, truth is always the first casualty. Write that down. In a cultural war, truth is always the first casualty. And you'll be persecuted as one who carries that truth. I was having lunch today with a, a friend and uh, we we're di discussing the political uh, environments of the day. And you know, ultimately, as truth tellers, you know, we get a lot of heat from people and we try to say things as delicately as we can. We try to uh, have some tact and some form. We try not to be offensive to people, but there's a point, there comes a point where you've just got to, hey, I, I'm going to do my best not to. 
But at the end of the day, it's the truth itself that is going to be offensive to people. So we're going to try to use tact. You know, the Lord would have us use tact, I believe, uh, to win hearts and minds. But at the end of the day, if the truth is going to offend somebody, it's going to offend somebody regardless of how, uh, how much you, you candy coat it. Uh, it's going to be hard to swallow for people and, and you'll receive persecution for it. And the cultural war truth is always the first casualty. I mean, think about the darkness that we're in today. We've got evolution uh, for how many, how many years has that been taught in our schools as if it's proven fact? It's not. It's a theory. And guess what? It's a bad theory. <laughs> there, are, there are more scientists that have, have easily done away with this idea of, of evolution. Yet what is it still, on, still being presented on, not even necessarily schools. It wasn't taught as a fact in my, my schooling yet, probably is now. But you've got the Discovery Channel, the History Channel. We're being inundated by media constantly that denies the creation, denies the creator, and says, oh, evolution, evolution, uh, psychology. Yeah, there, there's, all, uh, there's all kinds of different ideas that just that fly in the face of, of truth that are easily disproven, yet people just accept them. They grab onto them. They hold on to them. Uh, the Palestinian state is another good example. I mean, there, guys, there was never a Palestinian state. There wasn't. About the, guess what? The, the, the Jews were renamed as Palestinians because tra Palestinian transliterates into Philistine. So when the Jews had, a, were, had, a, were put, had an uprising put down, well, the Rome renamed them. They stripped them of their name and they named them for their enemies. Guess what? The Jerusalem Post that is read today all over the world and in, and in Israel was once known as the Palestinian uh, uh, Post. The Palestinians were Jews. The first Palestinians were Jews. So this Palestinian state, no, they were part of the Ottoman Empire. They just do, you can easily just study some history. Yet, how many, yet this narrative of, of the, the Jewish people stealing land from the Palestinians. Oh, they're stealing the Palestinians' land. No. That's not how it is, that Israel is the eternal homeland of the Jewish people, uh, has been uh, since Abraham, still is today, as promised by God. Look at Islam, for example. Islam is a cult religion lie. It is, I'm sorry. It's, you can trace it back to the late 600 ADs, all right, the 7th century, 8th century, you look back. Uh, you look back to those days and those times, and you can see. Just do a little study on history. Here's this guy Muhammad, and he gathers people close to him. He takes elements of Judaism, uh, uh, rips off parts of Christianity, and he takes moon god worship out of the plain of Shinar, and he cobbles together this. It's not hard to fit, to dispel these lies, yet people swallow swallow them hook, line, and sinker. Look what the media is doing to us. Look with the masks. There's no science on masks being beneficial. And they're telling us now to wear two or three masks, guys. Okay? And if you look at the side of the little blue box uh, of those masks that they give us at Costco, it says, does not protect you from coronavirus. On the box. Oh. Oh, the vaccine. The vac we just need a vaccine. Now you're a guinea pig for a vaccine. There's no evidence that vaccines help you, actually. There's a lot of evidence that those vaccines will harm you. But 
Does anybody want to see it? Who wants to see the truth? Am I, who, am I, who am I offending right now by talking about masks and how they're pointless, right? As a matter of fact, the mask wearing, the shutdown, it slowed down the natural evolution of the coronavirus and man's ability and the immune system to get over it. If anything, the science suggests that it slowed down the process of the, uh, uh, the immune system of, of people worldwide, it slowed down that process to adapt and overcome. Um, and there's a lot of science on that. Now, I'm sure people will start sharing me articles of the exact opposite uh, uh, position, and I'm not trying to get into that tonight, but it, will you at least acknowledge that it's a debate and that there is science that dispels uh, masks uh, and the dangers of uh, vaccines? Of course. It's amazing to me how many educated people will put their hope and faith into things that will easily be disproven uh, and then persecute those that don't coalesce and just blindly go along with it. But boy, aren't we seeing a lot of that today. Um, but I digress. Verse 11, they blasphemed the God of heaven because their pains and their sores and did, uh, here it is again, did they cry out to God and repent because of the pain in their sores? They did not repent of their deeds. <sighs> Is God giving them every chance to do so? Is he not giving them every chance to do so? Is he not giving us every chance to do so? What did I say from the beginning? This my opening statement tonight was this word of God right here. It is, an ex it is example after example after example of the extremes that God will go to try and help us avoid the destiny that fallen man has in store for it. And yet, here we have it. They did not repent yet again. Verse 12, then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. <clears throat> kings of the east that will be coming to do battle in a place called Armageddon. Interesting though that, interesting that this is, we're, uh, we're in a heaven, angels in heaven pouring out things and the Euphrates being mentioned here, I think is significant because the Euphrates truly is the cradle of life. True, that's one of the four headwaters that ran through the Garden of Eden. It's the cradle of civilization, but it will also be the grave of man's civilization. The eastern boundary of, uh, of Israel it was. The Eastern, think about Israel, right? Israel was not this little sliver. If you look on a globe, I think I've got a globe right here. We go. I think Israel, yeah, we can barely see it, right? It's so tiny. There it is, a little tiny. It's like that big, smaller than Rhode Island, as a matter of fact. Well, it, that's not the Abrahamic borders of Israel. From the Nile to the Euphrates, that was Israel. That will be Israel again one day. Uh, it was actually the border of the Roman Empire as well. It's a significant. It's, it's significant. Verse 13, and I saw, and I saw <clears throat> three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, 
out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs, or some translations say miracles, which go out to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them. They use these signs and these miracles to rally their troops, get people to believe in their power and their might to do battle of the great day of God Almighty. So dragon, beast, false prophet. Here we have the unholy trinity. Interesting that frogs are there again coming out, right? Frogs coming out of, uh, uh, of the mouth of the dragon, you know, um, in, uh, it was the second plague, second plague of, uh, plague of Moses in Egypt, remember, in Exodus uh, chapter four. Second plague of, of Egypt, Locusts as demons we read about in Revelation chapter 9, referencing Amos uh, chapter 7 verse 1 in the Septuagint, right? Uh, frogs, it was frogs that responded to Pharaoh's ma magicians, coincidentally, huh? So we're seeing this stuff. You know, uh, uh, Aristophanes was a Greek playwright, and he tells of uh, a costume, a special costume that was worn on the Greek stage uh, the, call, he was called the uh, Bactrachus, or frog garment, in other words, right? It was used as a sex symbol. Interesting. It just, you see the, uh, the visuals tra traveling throughout the Word of God. Just uh, a note, because it's interesting. But they're, they're gathering. This unholy trinity is gathering everybody right? Gathering everybody for the battle of that great day of God Almighty. A battle against whom? Who are they seeking to do battle with? Who are they battling, going to war against? The Lord God Almighty. And where are they going to do battle? Israel. Israel, church. Verse 15 reads, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Interesting, uh, this word garments here, you know, it's uh, in the Old English. The Old English speaks of garments in the sense of a habit, the sense of a habit, in the sense of a manner of living. So keeping one's manner of living clean, right? It's French, is, uh, has French... Uh, heritage as well. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4, remember, reads, ye are not in darkness that they should overtake you as a thief. So, behold, I'm coming as a thief. In verse 15, he says, blessed is he who watches and keeps his manner of living, uh, right, clean, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. But you, church, you are not going to be caught surprised. You are not going to have this day come upon you as a thief in the night because you know the darkness and that darkness that is spoken of here, right? This darkness that covers all of the land. The kingdom became full of darkness in verse 10, right? That darkness is the darkness that Paul is talking about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4, that darkness shall not overtake you as a thief. Verse 16, verse 16, chapter 16, verse 16. And they gathered them together in a place called Armageddon. 
This is the Valley of Megiddo. Uh, I went to Israel uh, in 2015 with Christians United for Israel. And incredible place, incredible place. Uh, part of every any tour that you're going to go on when you go over to Israel. Um, you know, I think it was Napoleon who, uh, when he laid eyes on it, said, what a perfect place for a battle, <laughs> right? Of course, knowing Bible history, he knew what he was talking about. There's a lot of history, though, uh, in the Valley of Megiddo, as it's called. So let me give you a little history of Megiddo. If we just study the Word of God, we see a lot of it. Jabin plus 900 chariots were overwhelmed there. Gideon's 300 defeated the Midianites in the Valley of Megiddo, the Amalekites and the children of the east. Samson triumphed over the Philistines in the Valley of Megiddo. Barak and Deborah defeated Sisera. Saul was slain by the Philistines there. A lot of history. So next time you're in Israel and you're laying your eyes on this valley, remember, this is where Saul was slain. This is where Samson triumphed over the Philistines. Ahazai was slain by the arrows of Jehu. The pharaoh Necho slew King Josiah there. Uh, Saracens and Christian uh, 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 crusaders, Egyptians, Persians, Druze, Turks, Arabs, everybody's done battle there. And Napoleon, I mentioned him a sec second ago, his disastrous march from Egypt to Syria. Remember that. That's when he went through there. Can I see this first picture? This is where it is. We see Jerusalem down at the bottom of the picture. Uh, straight north of Jerusalem, just about, is uh, Nazareth. So right there, there's Megiddo. There's the valley of Megiddo, Armageddon, a place called Armageddon. And I see that next graphic as well. This is what the return sequence will look like. Okay, the believing remnant will seek refuge in Edom and petition his return in Hosea 5, verse 515. He will return by rescuing the remnant in Isaiah 63. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, didn't we? He will return to the Mount of Olives then from, uh, from there. Zechariah 14.4. Let's keep reading. We've only got a few verses left. Verse 17. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. What else does that remind you of? It is done finished, to tell us thy paid in full. It is done. Verse 18, and there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Guys, the things that are coming upon the face of the earth, we can't comprehend. We just can't comprehend right now. So what are we seeing with all of this? The air, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. What's in the air? Come on, you Bible students. This, the last sphere of Satan's influence is he is the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 tells us. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, verse 12, that of the high places, of the heavenlies, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, chapter 3, verse 10, the last sphere of his influence. And God doesn't miss anything. He pours the last bowl out onto Satan's last sphere of influence and says, it is finished. It is done. Mm. Earthquakes are very significant throughout the word of God. If you want me to send you some earthquake references, I can do that. Isaiah 29, Psalm 50, Zechariah 14, so on and so forth. Haggai chapter 2, verse 19. 
Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Verse 20. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And now, that's an interesting visual to me. The mountains were not found. Every island fled away. I mean, it was this, how does that happen, right? Are we talking about a pole shift happening here? I don't know. Is this, is this uh, planet X passing by? You look into planet, you want to have just some, some fun uh, uh, academic research, look into some Planet X stuff, right? Zechariah Sitchin uh, and others. Is this something like that passing by? Uh, because it would, if it were, it would have a tail. It would have debris, a debris field around it. And let's read uh, uh, verse 21. And great hail fell upon men. So is this, is something passed by the earth that causes the waters to shift and cover the mountains? That would be pretty dramatic, wouldn't it? And hail from heaven to fall upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. This is, let me just explain what a talent is to you guys. A talent weighs between 60 and 135 pounds. All the differences of a talent that we find. It's a boulder, okay? I mean, could this be from the tail of that thing that passes by? I don't know. But that's some serious hailstones falling. Can you imagine a rock? And it's hail. So imagine how many that would be. It's hailing 60-pound balls of debris, rock. 60 to 135, as a matter of fact. And what happens when this ha- What happened? Let's go back to the scripture. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of hail. Did they cry out to God in mercy and realize the... <laughs> How wrong they were? No. Continually doubling down. Continually trading the truth for a lie. They blasphemed God because of the plague of hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. Josephus, uh, I feel like we've been talking a lot about him lately, but he, man, he's a secular historian of the time, uh, of the time of Christ. He speaks of the Roman catapults and the stones that they would throw. Uh, and that the weight of a talent, uh, the weight of a talent that was thrown into the city of Jerusalem, when when uh, Rome conquered Jerusalem in 70 A.D., the stones that they put in the catapults to launch and destroy the city of Jerusalem were, weighed a talent. So we're talking about 60 to 135 pound stones that were on these catapults, decimating the city of Jerusalem when Titus leveled the city. Very interesting point here. They blasphemed, right? They blasphemed the Lord. What was the penalty for blasphemy in the Old Testament? Stoning. The penalty for, in Israel, throughout its history, the official form of capital punishment was stoning. Capital punishment for what? For blasphemy. What do you get? Stoning. Jesus was crucified, but that's interesting because that was a, you know, that was a, a Roman way of execution, and it was prophesied even a hundred years before, hundred years uh, uh, before crucifixion was even invented, was the prophecy written that Jesus would be crucified, uh, 
and he, he was and wasn't stoned. So what was the penalty for blasphemy? Stoning. And what was being punished here? What is being punished here? They blasphemed, right? They blasphemed God as, this, as they're receiving uh, their punishment for this in itself. So important lesson for us to uh, notice here is that judgment, judgment doesn't produce repentance. All right? Hear me now, church. Let's, we're, we're, we're wrapping up right here. All right? So come back in. All right? Come back into me right here. We've, we've got to get this down tonight. Okay? Judgment does not produce repentance. This is why preaching hellfire and brimstone uh, doesn't bring people to Jesus Christ. It doesn't. It might scare them, but it doesn't produce a saving faith that lasts. All right? People need to understand uh, the desperate nature uh, of their situation. They need to understand that, right? It's not until we understand how desperate we are uh, without Christ that we realize uh, our need for him and, and it becomes relevant and you understand what the Christians are talking about. As C.S. Lewis famously wrote in Mere Christianity, right? People need to understand that. They need to understand uh, the nature of their situation, that it's desperate. They need to understand the remedy that Jesus Christ represents, but hammering the judgment side of it does nothing but turn people off. Nothing. People, it just turns them off. What draws people to God is grace. What drew you to him? It is his grace. It is his mercy. God changes hearts, not by judgment, but he changes hearts by grace and by mercy. These judgments that are going to come upon those who dwell upon the earth at this time are not, not the blessed hope that the church is told to look for, okay? So if you're one who's never really understood the timing of everything in the Bible and you read Revelation and it's scary because, boy, I don't want it to be the end times because in the end times, I'm just going to hail, it's going to hail 60 pound, 135 pound stones. We're going to have sores all over our bodies. It's going to be horrible. The sea life is all going to die, right? It's be scary, right? You have to understand first and foremost, this is not for you. This is not what God has for his beloved. Uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is our blessed hope, that he's coming. He's coming back, church. We have a Savior. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. We see that? It reads this. I want to drive this point home to you tonight. All right. God would have it that none be lost. He would have it that, that his wrath is not poured out on you. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, church. The wrath of God, dot, 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 and you, question mark? No, not you. The wrath of God is not for you. The wrath of God will fall upon this earth. Judgment will come. How can he be a just God if he doesn't punish wicked wickedness? How can he be a just God if he doesn't bring judgment upon the evil? And many of you I know know the depravity, true depravity of this world, the true depravity of that beast 
demonic system, nimrotic system that wants global governance and control and the lengths that they will go to get it, obtain it, keep it. These are truly people who are operating in a demonic spirit. <sighs> Yet what does the scripture say tonight? Throughout still they did not repent. Still they did not, still they did not repent. Have you repented? Have you changed your mind from unbelief to belief? That's all it means. That's all it means. If you haven't done so, now is the time to do it. Now is the time to do it. He would have it that none be lost. He'd have it that you not be lost. He would have it that you obtain salvation through your Lord Jesus Christ. And what do you have to look forward to if you do that? Not wrath, not the wrath of God. No, but a blessed hope. Amen? Amen. So next week, next week we will discuss Mystery Babylon. So uh, if you're excited about this Revelation study, it's going to be good. Chat, we're going to ch uh, study chapters 17 and 18. So read ahead. Shouldn't take you but an hour to read through all that, if that. Spiritual Babylon is alive today. We've talked about it recently at Life Story Church. All keep in mind what we talked about briefly in regards to Babylon and Nimrod earlier. All forms of occult practices, this is important, all forms of occult practices have their origins in the original city of Babylon. Read Isaiah chapter 47. Tammuz, the son of Nimrod, and his queen, Semiramis, was identified with the Babylonian sun god and worshipped following the winter solstice on December 23. Second and third, as Babylon was conquered, and it was conquered by subsequent empires, this entire religious system was transplanted. As it blew up the city, people scattered, they disporad, right? And this entire false religious system, it was transplanted first, as we studied way back in Revelation chapter 2. Look up the letters to the churches if you're interested in that uh, subject matter. Look up the letters to the chap uh, churches in Revelation chapter 2 study when all of this false religion traveled to Pergamos and then on to Rome. Which is why, again, what did we say earlier? We see parallelism between all the false religions. Why? Because they all go back to Babylon, and that's our focus next week, okay? So ultimately, Christianity was established as the official state religion of Rome, as it was, you know, uh, many of the religious traditions and practices of the earlier, earlier pagan worship uh, were adapted or incorporated, and that's how so much of the Christianity we even know and have today is infected by elements of paganism. So, I hate to tell you that. Yes, and that includes many of our traditions surrounding Christmas, Bab the Babylonian worship of Ishtar, right? Does that sound familiar? Ishtar transliterated into Easter, the golden egg of Astarte, and the fertility rites of spring give us Easter, right? The calendar year that ends on October 31st and is associated with occult rituals gave us a Halloween, right? It's going to be a good study. So uh, this was all related to, guess what, Baal worship, or the worship of Mars in the Greek, right? So anyway, it's going to be an interesting study, so I hope you'll join us just for tonight. Let's just remember where we, what we've been through tonight, though. All right, we'll get to that cool stuff next week, that other stuff next week. But for tonight, I want you to remember, Jesus would have it that none be lost. 
He loves you. He loves you. This book, this book is example after example of the extremes that God has gone to prevent you from having to live through the wrath of God. Will you accept him now, church? Well, we become a part of the church by accepting him. His ecclesia, called out ones, gathered in his name. With every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're here tonight and the Lord is moving on your heart and you want to truly repent, you can do that right now and your life will never be the same again. I can promise you that. If that's you here tonight, just say this with me. Say, Jesus, I trust you. I believe that you're God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that you rose from the grave on the third day. I believe that you paid it all. I believe that my debt is paid and I put my eternity in your hands and I trust you that it's secure in your hands, that I'll not be lost in your keeping. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you guys. Hope you enjoyed the study tonight. Tune in next week. Um, Join us Sunday mornings at the Rutledge West in the Pegram community, just uh, west of Bellevue and uh, the west on the west side of Nashville, guys. So uh, we'll hope to see you then. Share the video, click like, all that good stuff. We love you guys. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he pour favor out on your lives. May you go in grace and prosper in all you do. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. We love you guys. Thanks. 